It's a wake up call for founders when they like do a token sale. What kind of investors are you really getting? Like I meet with my founders all the time. If I invested in some token sale, I don't know what type of relationship I can really have. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, a podcast from CoinPost that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. Last week's episode with Weston Nakamura was our most popular yet, so definitely check it out if you haven't already. But since last week was more about macro and Japan, this week is back squarely on Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin startups. You might not realize it, but there's a whole ecosystem of companies building on Bitcoin, whether it's the base layer, the Lightning Network, or another level. My guest is Mike Jarmas, general partner at Lightning Ventures, a venture investment syndicate that focuses on Bitcoin-only startups. Mike was actually the first Bitcoin guest to come on GM Radio, the Twitter space series I was doing for CoinPost earlier this year. So I was really grateful to him for taking a punt on a crypto show and dropping some truth on the pitfalls of so-called crypto investment. We talk venture investment, what the deal is with accredited investor requirements in the U.S., and why they might actually contribute to inequality more than protecting investors. Also, we talk about the perverse incentives of token sales, Investing in Bitcoin startups whose performance isn't tied to the price of Bitcoin. What founders should think about when launching a startup. And we even take some questions from the audience at the end, so stick around for that. Let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoy. GM Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you on. Uh, I've been looking forward to this all weekend uh, because uh, I think... uh, well, from from outside crypto, there's this perception that uh, I mean, Bitcoin, uh, other cryptocurrencies, there's no difference. All of them crazy, volatile, dangerous to uh, to get involved with. But then inside crypto, there's this perception that oh, Bitcoin, that's boomer coin, whatever. It never does anything. The price action, uh, it's uh, it's always the most boring, and you can't build on it. There's no smart contracts. So I'm I'm super stoked to. Uh, to be talking about uh, things from both of those angles, because I suspect that you uh, have a somewhat different opinion. Yeah, I'm in the opinion that really anything that is not happening on Bitcoin and is noteworthy is eventually going to come to Bitcoin, uh, like we've been seeing uh, throughout the the history of Bitcoin, is that most uh, innovation comes from that space, and if anything doesn't, uh, it will be solved in a different way with Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a really interesting perspective that uh, that I'm looking forward to exploring. Um, could you start by just introducing yourself to our audience? Sure. So my name is Mike Jarmas. My friends call me Muzz. And my company is Lightning Ventures. And we invest in Bitcoin startups. Uh, and we make it possible for anyone to invest in Bitcoin startups and get going with angel investing. Um, so these are early stage Bitcoin companies because we're in the early stage of all of this. And for a thousand dollar minimum, you can invest on the same terms as VCs or what I like to call the suits uh, with with low minimums and participate. You can be impactful with the companies. You can create partnerships. It could be great networking opportunities and lots of other benefits to joining a an awesome angel investing group. But that's mainly what Lightning Ventures does, is that. Awesome. Um, What were you doing before Lightning Ventures? Uh, Well, I've done a bunch of different things in my life. I was in the music business for 
uh, probably over 10 years. Uh, I've had a bunch of different small businesses. I owned a, a bar in Manhattan. I had a cafe. I had a retail store. I did a lot of different things. I've done real estate and I drove a taxi in New York City and all sorts of weird stuff. So um, I was I was doing a lot of real estate and I, I got lucky and worked for a, a medical startup. But I, I've had many businesses before. Yeah. Which I'm sure is uh, is useful experience when you're uh, evaluating uh, companies to invest in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've done that yourself, I, everything that I was doing for the most part was brick and mortar and physical. Uh, so I never really had experience with uh, startups. But um, the entrepreneur mindset uh, is definitely um, similar. And how did you uh, how did you first encounter Bitcoin? Um, well, first it was on some sort of you know message board way back in the day, uh, and pretty much dismissed it like most people do. And then um, it resurfaced ag again, um, probably in that late 2012 ish area. Uh, you know, and Max Kaiser and a lot of these other people uh, started talking about it uh, again, um, or really talking about it. And um, I just kind of fell into it. Um, there was a New York Bitcoin center there ran by Nick Spanos, um, you know, and uh, he was doing some pretty cool things to let people, um, to get people educated and, and on board in person. They had a physical place down there in, uh, in Wall Street. And, um, and at that point in time, you know, what did you really have? You had Mt. Gox uh, and you had BitInstant and BTCE and kind of all of these like weird little exchanges in a, in a real Wild West period. But that was pretty much a lot of what you had. So that was super early days then, like uh, 2010, 11? No, I mean, really that late 2012 uh, period. And then 2013 was crazy. I mean, everything that happened with uh, you know, Mt. Gox and, you know, everything that happened after that first big blow up, uh, that first altcoin craze was like insane. I mean, that seemed insane. And then like, this is like lunacy bin. But uh, I mean, that first one, you know, sex coin and, you know, peer coin and feather coin and, you know, name coin and all these kind of things, you know, that first uh, wave, that was pretty fun. So since you've, uh, you've kind of been like involved with Bitcoin for uh, what would that be 10, 10 years now, give or take. Um, how has your view of Bitcoin changed over the years? And did you have like a, a period when you were uh, kind of invest uh, interested in other uh, cryptos um, or were you just Bitcoin only the whole way? Yeah, I think everyone goes through those periods uh, and has to learn some of those lessons. Right. And when you first discover it uh, before you really know, um, a lot of these other things kind of seem like good ideas, right? Whether it's energy or, you know, transactions or smart contracts or all of those other things. I mean, I remember, you know, entertaining the idea of buying a Dash master node when you could do so for, you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars, um, you know, in, in that whole that whole era. So definitely looked at it, you know, I mean, had some had some Litecoin. Um, at, you know, at some point in time and some of those other things, you know, what was there? Digibyte? I don't know. Um, whatever there was, but I think after a while, it's just, it's 
it's just a matter of time before somebody realizes that that stuff is not really where they should be paying attention, their, their attention. Are you thinking more from a, like an investment perspective or like, a, um, like a technology perspective? I mean, really an investment perspective, but you know, if you really rip them all apart, it's just hard to see how they're going to top Bitcoin in any possible way, whether it's Monero or, you know, Zcash or any of these other things in, in terms of privacy or, um, you know, Bcash or Bitcoin SV in terms of, you know, the block size, um, kind of all of these, all of these things that they're just, they just don't add up when, when you take a real good hard look, at least they didn't, they don't for me. I mean, maybe they do for some people. Yeah, looking forward to hitting on some of those points. But uh, let's talk about uh, Lightning Ventures' history, um, uh, like how it started and uh, what that journey has been like so far. Yeah, so it's been about uh, a year and a half. And um, I was doing angel investing before, but I wasn't investing in Bitcoin companies, uh, really, because there weren't that many to invest in at that time. So a lot of other stuff, you know, vegan ice cream and, you know, flying cars and, you know, drug companies and all of that stuff. Um, and all that stuff is great, um, but I can't really do anything there. I mean, there's only so much I can do for your robotic lawnmower startup, you know. Um, but the Bitcoin space was another story and was kind of um, there's a big need there. Uh, to bring some VC uh, interest, especially with the syndicate and what we're doing with that, um, and just and get rolling. So in the past year and a half, we've probably invested to in maybe close to 30 companies. If you put them all together, uh, those are Bitcoin-only uh, startups that do a number of things. And the ecosystem is super robust now. I mean, you can invest in a lot of different things. It's not just wallets. It's not just exchanges. And even when they were exchanges, you know, their business is selling stuff. So it's not even like it's a Bitcoin only type of thing that now you have pretty much everywhere. You have Bitcoin only exchanges all over the world. Um, but now there's just so many different things, you know, of whether it's lightning or shopping or e-commerce or, you know, sats back or things that bridge the fintech um, uh, realm between traditional finance, you know, stuff like Fold. Um, you know, there's just so many different things to invest in now that it, there's just too much. There's too much. It's great. Yeah, I think that's a that's another um, misperception that people have that, uh, that there's really not that much happening uh, in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So what are some um, projects that, that you're excited about that uh, may not have much attention yet? Um, well, there's a lot of cool stuff. My gosh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I guess I'll just start rambling with what's first to mind. Uh, yeah, there's a company called there's a company called Slice, uh, which is I think it's adslice.com. And uh, it's a browser extension where you get paid um, for every ad that you see uh, in your browser. So you can still use your your ad blocker or ad block pro or whatever you use. And then by turning on slice, uh, when you do see an ad, you're earning 50% of the revenue share 
from that ad. So kind of like Brave, but without the need for some nonsense bat token uh, or the need to download a new browser and change any of your habits. You can just install Slice, run it with your ad blocker, and then earn sats for you know any ads that your eyeballs are forced to see. Um, there's, there's stuff like, um, like Vita, you know, Vita is really cool. Uh, if you've ever downloaded and played with it, that's getting paid for your time and attention. That's eliminating spam, uh, cutting out a lot of that noise by making it cost money for someone to contact you. Um, not only that, but there's, you know, live podcasting and other things that you can do with Vita, but really cool company, especially if you think about maybe you can port in your telephone number there uh, one day and uh, and maybe then you'll never get a call uh, from somebody that you don't know. And if they are going to call you, then they're going to pay whatever rate that you set, you know, so that's pretty cool. And um, yeah, that's um, that's one that uh, really caught my attention. Um in terms of addressing spam, for instance, because these uh, like email spammers or I guess um, even telephone spammers, they they operate on uh, the uh, just uh, um, by the numbers. If they if they hit enough people, then maybe some uh, tiny percentage will respond to them, and they can and they can scam those people. But if you introduce just like a a tiny fee to email or a tiny fee to call someone, even if it's like a tiny fraction of a cent. Um, then it's not going to be economical for these spammers to uh, to send out uh, thousands of emails hoping to get a few hits. A tiny fraction kills so much of the spam, uh, especially if you can hook up if you can hook that up to which Vita already has with your Twitter DMs uh, and no longer get those. And every once in a while, you know, I mean, I get things to my Vita inbox and somebody wants to contact me, uh, and it works, and they paid forty cents or whatever. Um, so, you know, they, these are all still in the early days of what you can do or, you know, just a way to kind of do a consulting call with somebody and maybe get paid streaming sats every second that you're on the call, uh, and another way to, to monetize stuff. Um, I'll give you, uh, one more comp- yeah. company that's kind of interesting and that's called digital markets. And what Digital Markets is doing is they're using uh, the Liquid Sidechain, which is, you know, a product by Blockstream. Uh, They're using the Liquid Sidechain to reinvent uh, capital markets for how people invest in uh, securities, uh, how companies raise money, whether they do these mini IPOs or fundraising, um, all sorts of fun stuff. They actually did the Blockstream mining note which uh, Blockstream's mining uh, division, you could actually invest in that. And that was, you know, directly correlated with their hash power and your um, rewards, I guess, your dividends, your payments uh, were made via that. So a lot of these type of, you know, smart contracty sort of things, I mean, they're all coming to Bitcoin. It's just, it takes longer. Is that something where uh where they're issuing um something like equity uh in companies on on that uh, digital market yeah so if coin po- post global was raising 
um, you could do a number of different things. You could get money from uh, your captive audience of of people, uh, right? You could do a crowdfunding thing and open it up to to anyone uh, listening or your fans that wanted to invest maybe a hundred dollars a minimum, uh, and then get get invested in the company through a uh, crowdfunded equity campaign. Okay, uh, you could also raise that money through. Uh, VCs um, and other angel investors, or you could do friends and family stuff. People could invest directly. Um, you could utilize Liquid to do all of those things just in a different way um, and how you ran a crowdfunding equity campaign. Uh, could you do it with them for less fees and more uh, less restrictions to operate? Um, could you then run your whole fundraising round on digital markets and out of, say, a million dollars that you were raising, uh, the VCs and everyone else kind of invested through that vehicle? And that gives you a way to manage your cap table and uh, could also provide liquidity for them if they wanted to easily transfer those shares or sell them. There's a lot of other benefits that are kind of in the normal fintechy world of investing uh, aren't possible. Uh, and just not easy. Well, it's interesting because, uh, well, I wasn't going to um, bring this up until later in our conversation, but uh, there's this new project, Taro, which, uh, as I understand it, is is working on being able to issue different types of assets on top of the Bitcoin blockchain. But it sounds like uh, what you're talking about is already kind of doing that. Well, that that is really, uh, it, it is different because this is a Bitcoin side chain. And this could be used for, look, we're going to see what sticks, okay? I mm-hmm. mean, you can, you can do NFTs on Liquid, right? There's a project called Rare Toshi, okay? You can absolutely be minting NFTs uh, with Liquid. Um, but what matters is what the artists do, right? And in the Bitcoin art world, they still love Counterparty. They love Counterparty. Like we, we've invested in a company called Scarce City. They were all over the ordinals. They're such a cool company. It's scarce.city. Uh, but they sell these fine Bitcoin goods, collectibles, art, you know, in-person art. They'll do a sick display at, at Bitcoin Miami this year. They, they had an awesome one last year. And like, you know, you, you can push them whatever you want. Like, hey, how come that you, what are you doing with Counterparty? And like, that's what the artists want. So it's kind of up to the market, you know? So if we're going to have, say, ticketing, if ticketing is going to be done uh, on Bitcoin, is that going to be with liquid? Um, Is it going to be done some other way? You know, I think a lot of this is just in the early days and depends on which way the market goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So like you said, there's there's all kinds of different things happening uh, on top of Bitcoin. And it's kind of the only thing it has in common is that it's uh, it's utilizing this. this global um, blockchain and then the asset Bitcoin on top of it. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit, but uh, I'm curious, like with um, a new form of money uh, like Bitcoin, how do you see VC investment evolving? I see more money coming into Bitcoin. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with crypto VCs and they're kind of hinting to the fact that they are starting to warm up to the idea of just looking more at Bitcoin only stuff. Um, so they, you know, just coming around to like all of this, this other delusions that are kind of, uh, that have just been taken out and crushed. 
with this last uh, leg that we've had, and all markets have been crushed, right? I mean, NASDAQ, everything. Um, so it's not just Bitcoin. Um, but I think that they're going to come to the realization that Bitcoin is more important than they've been giving it credit. I think that there will be less of a desire to find, quote unquote, the next Bitcoin or some other Internet, you know, protocol thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think that a lot of these projects might be discovered that they don't really have as much merit because, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have to do anything like Bitcoin is doing things. But like Bitcoin just has to be Bitcoin. That's it. So, like, if you're investing, why wouldn't you invest in that? How am I going to invest in this thing that is some, like, ERC-20 that has a counterparty risk where if Ethereum has problems, this thing has problems? Like, why, why would anyone want to deal with that? And then, by the way, that thing has to be successful, which is a whole other thing. And, by the way, that thing has to do something. Like, remember there was some project called Gollum? You know, it's supposed to, like, render your you know, render your videos or something and, you know, use a token. It was on Ethereum. Like, why would I invest in that? Like, I could just have Bitcoin, you know, but. Yeah, I don't remember Gollum, but uh, there have been uh, a lot of different, uh, uh, well, projects that made promises that uh, came and uh, most of them went. Um, you mentioned uh that uh, through Lightning Ventures, you let just about anyone invest in Bitcoin companies. I'm curious, uh, I mean, my understanding, I don't know much about it, but in the U.S. you have uh, the accredited investor system. Um, I'm curious uh, what, uh, well, if you could like talk about that and, uh, and um, whether that uh, presents a hurdle or, well, yeah, just how that works. Well, accredited versus unaccredited. I mean, this is like one of the greatest scams in the history. I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, the fact that, you know, you can go into any casino in America and lose your life savings on a hand of blackjack. Uh, and that's okay. And not only is that okay and legal, um, that casino's business is kind of dependent on you losing. Uh, that's like very important part of their model. Okay, that's okay. But for somebody to invest in an early stage technology company, that person has to be deemed sophisticated uh, by the government. This is completely ridiculous. Um, this is an absolute crime. There should be people rioting in the streets. Um, that is terrible. Um, but that's unfortunately the way it is. So what do you do? when you're in that position where you want to build, you know, life changing wealth by uh, investing in early stage technology companies. And by the way, it's not a coincidence that they don't want you to. Okay, that is by design. They do not want people getting rich. Okay, I know they don't want people getting wrecked either. <laughs> but they sure as heck don't want people getting rich. So they make it incredibly difficult to do so, but they can't make it too difficult, right? Because they still need people to do it because that's how things happen. So what does the SEC say? They say, well, uh, let's make it a self-accreditation policy, which means that that person has to, you know, click the right button. 
They have to click the right button that says, I'm an accredited investor. Okay. The SEC doesn't say, oh, you got to verify every document. You need this and that. Okay. They make it very easy uh, for these companies and VCs and um, various platforms, okay, to close deals and make it that much difficult to where somebody might not realize that they have to click the right button. And for those people who don't realize they have to click the right button, they might just close the window and be done. So I know that that happens. It's a ridiculous, um, you know, hurdle that they, that they get people across. But yes, um, to invest in Lightning Ventures, you must be an accredited investor. And what that means is just what I, what I said. Um, in, in regards to that um, self-accreditation process that there is there. So there are two types of funds. There are funds that are allowed to um, advertise, um, and there are funds that aren't. So when you have a 506C offering, that is where you can advertise uh, publicly that you have an investment opportunity uh, like we have one for this podcast company called Fountain. That is a 506C. I can talk about it with you compliantly. It's not breaking any laws. Um, and somebody who invests in a one of those opportunities, they must prove um, something, right? They might need a letter from a CPA or an email from a CPA or an attorney's email. But the deals that are private... Um, you know, you're not allowed to advertise them or talk about them publicly, and then the people can just click the right button. And once you click the right button, you've clicked the right button forever. There are no further buttons to click, you know. Um, so, you know, to, to get past that hurdle, it, it takes a little bit. The easiest way is to fill out the LP application on our website because then we send people a custom email that is like expedites the process. Uh, there's normally like a two day wait period and there's some like whole bunch of stuff. Um, we can like bypass that, but the people have to like fill out our application. Otherwise they have to like go to angel list and like start the process and they may get their account approved. They may not. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's a total scam that the government says, oh, you can invest in wine and whiskey. You can buy fractionalized Air Jordans and trade them in a marketplace. Okay, you can invest in all of these other sort of things, but you can't do this. It's ridiculous. And then the one opportunity that there is, this is the last thing I'll say on this, is that there's crowdfunding sites, which crowdfunding came around in 2013, uh, by Barack Obama, that was the Jobs uh, Act, um, and jumpstart our uh, small, you know, business, whatever. Um, and that makes it easier for companies to raise money, and it makes it easier for Aunt Mary and Uncle Bob to invest in private companies. You go to websites like Republic, uh, Start Engine, Seed Invest, WeFunder. If you're in Europe, you have Crowdcube and Cedars. If you're in Japan, you probably have them over there that I can't think of. And then this is a way for companies to raise money publicly uh, through a regulation crowdfund 
which is limited in the amount that you can raise. And there are a few other limitations, but it allows everyone to invest uh, without the need to click the right button, so to speak. Right. So let me uh, let me try to recap that, because uh, I think uh, it might be some concepts that are unfamiliar to some uh, listeners. So let me know if I uh, if I misrepresent anything. But uh, with accredited investors, um, uh, let's see, it's um, kind of limiting who can invest in uh, in uh, early stage startups or uh, these these offers that are not necessarily presented to the public. Um but then, so there, there are certain requirements to be an accredited investor, or you're saying that it's a self-accreditation system. So really, if you if you consider yourself an accredited investor, then then uh, you are one. Or uh, is it not that straightforward? Are there capital requirements? Yeah. So okay. So that's funny, and you just said it. Uh, that's the 2023s. I identify as an accredited investor. I find that super funny. Mm. Um, so the actual requirements are that you have to make $200,000 last year and you have to have the expectation to make $200,000 this year. That is one way to qualify. Mm -hmm. the, next w the next way to qualify is to have $1 million in net assets and that's excluding your primary residence. So if you own a million-dollar house but you're broke, uh, that does not count, according to them. But the other way would be to have a million dollars. Um, and then there are recent changes made to the law where people with certain FINRA designations um, now do not have to have any income requirements. So if you have maybe a Series 7 or 65 or you're new to uh, the finance world, um, there are some ways that you can be quote unquote accredited. And then there's one other one that I find very funny. It's like certain people who work at a fund. That's literally like what it says. It's like the most vague language um, possible. And, you know, I think it's funny, though, because if you made $200,000 last year and if you're a positive thinking person, of course you have the expectation that you're going to make it this year, right? Like that's not a hard you know, qualifications, like you have to have the expectation, you know, in a world where anything can happen. So, I mean, the whole thing is kind of nonsense, but yes, those are the actual uh, requirements to, to qualify. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and when you talk about it being a scam, you're kind of alluding to the fact that uh, people are free to lose their money in all kinds of ways in casinos or, or otherwise, but they're not free to uh, uh, quote and gamble their money on uh, early stage startups. Yeah, where they could actually uh, have a have a return unlike, uh, well, probably a much higher likelihood of a return than someplace like a casino. Absolutely. Like I can download a sports betting app and I can go crazy. I can, you know, I can go on tilt and buy whatever lottery tickets I want from the store. And this should be treated no different. You know, e even if they allowed this to happen, but they had some sort of limits on it. You know, maybe it was X amount of dollars, but anyone could get started very, very easily. You know, and maybe after they invested 10000 there was some type of question. I don't know. That would be better than what we have now. That would still not be great. But, um, yeah, it's it's terrible how, how it works here. I don't know how it works there. Right. And then I guess the final piece of that is that uh, do you kind of see this as contributing to wealth inequality where uh, if you're 
if you're uh, a certain level of uh, wealthy, then you can just keep getting wealth wealthier. But uh, if you're below that, then you have a lot fewer options for uh, trying to increase your wealth. Absolutely, man. It's a boys club, you know, just like everything else in the financial world. It's it's all about uh, who you know. And there's so many other things, too. Here we have this QSBS, this Qualified Small Business. Uh, and if a startup actually uh, is this, uh, when you get an exit, whether that's an IPO or an acquisition, there's a ridiculous amount of money that's actually tax-free on that uh, with no other sort of uh, restrictions or, um, you know, contingencies on what you do with the money. It's not like you have to park it somewhere else. So, you know, a lot of these people who do this early stage investing, um, they receive enormous tax benefits on a lot of these gains as well. Right. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, uh, the laws are different in different countries around the world. So this conversation definitely isn't uh, relevant for everyone, but I did want to kind of, uh, kind of focus on that point because it is, uh, I mean, especially in the context of talking about Bitcoin and uh, financial freedom and self-sovereignty, it's an interesting kind of uh, comparison, the, uh, the, the current system compared to potentially what, uh, what could be in the future. Absolutely. Um, so turning to you as an investor, I think a lot of our listeners um, as uh, current or aspiring investors themselves, they'd be very interested to hear what you look for in an investment, how, how you evaluate a new opportunity. Well, there's something important to know here and that this whole thing is an art. Uh, it's not a science. So there are many people that share many different views and look for different things and have different mandates. And maybe they have investment committees and maybe there's a process here. But if a startup is raising money, um, some VCs, for example, won't invest in pre-revenue companies, uh, regardless. Doesn't matter what they are, who they are, team, doesn't matter. If they don't have any revenue, they just won't invest, period. Uh, that's something that they do. There are some uh, VCs that will, if it's a solo founder and there's no co-founder, um, he must be technical. Uh, we will not invest in a solo founder that is not technical. Um, so people have all sorts of different things. Us, uh, I mean, I'm not crazy about pre-revenue, okay? Um, we've done it a couple of times. We did it with Cloaked Wireless. Um, that was an exception because their advisory board is, you know, Adam Back, uh, Rusty Russell, the founder of the company, was a co-founder of Blockstream, um, they're taking advice from Gregory Maxwell, um, Matt Corallo. Um, there's just a crazy team of people there. So, you know, even though I'm not crazy about pre-revenue companies, um, we don't have any sort of like, we're not going to do it. Um, but definitely the team is super important, especially at the early stage, because at the early stage, you don't have that much you can really look at, you know, and advice for founders out there have everything organized in a Google Drive. Have everything nice and buttoned up so that by the time you get to a VC who might be interested, you can share a Google Drive. Maybe it has your certificate of incorporation in there. Maybe it has wiring instructions for your business. Maybe there's a preliminary cap table. Um, maybe there's a pitch deck or some executive summary materials. Whatever you have, but just have it like easily there. 
you know, so that it can be so that it can be gone through. Um, but at those early stages, you're not really going to get that much more than that to really evaluate, you know, so it does come down to the team. You know, what's something that you would like to see? Well, you'd like to see two co-founders that worked together previously. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I mean, I personally like uh, uh, two brothers, uh, two brothers that start a company together. That's that's pretty powerful. Um, so, you know, the, the team is something I personally really like a product that is live, that has traction and growth. Um that's kind of the sweet spot for me personally. So I, I, I tend to look for that. Put, put the numbers on a chart. And would you say that the, um, the team and the, the co-founder dynamics are even more important than the idea itself? Um, well, that's interesting because, you know, there's a saying, and that is uh, a good team will always lose to a bad market. Uh, that is something that is said in the VC world. So, um, I don't, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that, you know, you don't, you don't want a, a bad driver in a great car, uh, either. So, I mean, it's, it's right place. It's right time. It's also, you know, it's also pivoting. There are a lot of companies where they change their name. They go a different direction. Like we had one just last week. It's pivoting in a whole new direction. You know, it was like the previous company didn't exist, like it'll be phased out. So there's just a long road ahead and a lot of things that can happen in the life cycle of a, of a company. So, you know, the team is very, is very important, of course. The market size is important if you're looking for venture returns. There's a lot of people out there that are building, you know, awesome projects that might just not be suitable for venture capital. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be building those projects or should stop building those projects because they need to be built and they're going to change the world and they're incredibly important. But going through this process and educating themselves, if they're looking for a venture company or if they're looking for something else, then they need to start thinking that way and start maybe shaping that idea uh, and project into something that could, could generate those outsized returns. Because that's what VCs are looking for. They're looking for outside returns. This follows the power law. Okay, this is the Babe Ruth effect. Okay, if you invest in, like, like here's what's interesting about VC. Okay, and it's very similar to the music business. You can have a 90% failure rate and still be wildly successful. Okay, I mean, you can have nine uh, bands or artists that do not make it. And then that one pop star pays for all of that and then plus everything else and makes it worth it. And it's that way with VC. I mean, a lot of these things uh, should go to zero. I mean, when you start studying this stuff, it's, it's jaw dropping and scary as to the binary outcomes of like how many things just are going to go to zero and they don't go to zero tomorrow. Um, it's, it's a long road ahead, uh, but that happens. And the ones that don't go to zero, um, buckle up because that's what you're playing for. Yeah. It's a unique perspective that I think, uh, um, certainly new investors to the space are, it's probably really hard to start thinking that way. Cause naturally you, you want, uh, you want all your investments to do well. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it makes a ton of sense if you have uh, nine that go to zero and then and then one that uh, does incredibly well. Then uh, then yeah, that that's that's uh, success. Well, they have this term. It's called return the fund, and that is when one single investment in the fund returns all the capital from the entire fund. Right, and that's what you're looking for. Yeah, one one thing that uh, that you said. Um, I found it interesting. You talked about uh, you, you generally look for companies that are already generating revenue. You're not necessarily yeah. looking for profitable companies, but you are looking for companies that are already generating revenue. Yes, with a live product. Right, right. That makes sense. And hopefully an obsessive founder. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned two, two, uh, two co-founders that have great synergy, or they've, they've worked together previously. That's, uh, that's pretty important to you. Well, it's great to see. I mean, it's not that it's, you know, it's, it's not that it's a, a must, you know, it's not a requirement, but it's definitely a bonus um, to have uh, two co-founders who've worked together previously, whether even if they work together at a company together, but they never work together as in a, in a founder capacity, mm-hmm. you know, that's super powerful. Or maybe two people on the team that are not the founder, um, but they've worked together. So those are the type of things that it's really important. Yeah, yeah. And those are exactly the things that uh, we often don't think about because so many projects, like they have a slick website and we kind of look at that. We think about the the idea, whether it seems like it makes sense. And I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's hard to look into the team, but uh, but it's definitely uh, uh, integral to the investing process. Another thing you can look at when you're getting started with angel investing um, is signaling. And that is who else is investing in that deal? Who else is investing in that company? And, you, you know, outside of the Bitcoin space, let's just say, um, if somebody sends you a deal for um, uh, some wearable fitness thing, okay, and you look at it and, you know, SoftBank is in it and, you know, you know Alex Rodriguez or some sports people are in it, you know, Mark Cuban is in it, pick a big name. Uh, and you know, uh, all these people are in it. Um, that's kind of all you're going to get regarding your own, like real due diligence. Like you're not going to get FaceTime with the founder, um, under most circumstances ever, uh, for those small checks, you just kind of have to go on, you know, the deal memo that is presented and in front of you, with the deck and you can try the product, you can do all sorts of other things, but like what you're getting in terms of, you know, real due diligence is pretty limited. And what you're getting from knowing who else is in that round is pretty valuable. It it seems like a lot of investors do do that. Now there are cases where that kind of blows up in, in, uh, in our faces. I think uh, a lot of people invested in FTX, like seeing that, uh, the likes of Sequoia and A16Z were were invested. And uh, do you have any thoughts on on that? These big names that invested in uh, a company that was just so spectacularly uh, uh, not healthy? Yeah, there's a few of those, right? I mean, there's uh, Elizabeth Holmes, um, Theranos, right? Yeah, um, and I think she got Tim Draper on that one uh, as well as you know, a number of others, but, um, well, first off, I mean, these people that you just named, like they're, 
they're like way crypto. You know what I mean? They're way like metaverse tokeny, like all of those things. And in the good times, I mean, maybe they did great on Solana. I don't know when they sold. I don't know what, what they did. Um, but I think that this last bit kind of hopefully was a wake-up call on some of these other things that scams that can be um, done you know, with, with running these crypto things and, you know, anything that has its own token, you know, anything that has its own token. I mean, I've been against that stuff forever, you know, I mean, look what happened. Uh, so, you know, me personally with, with what I, my focus on anything that has a token, I'm like, I'm just not interested, you know? Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think, uh, I mean, we have a lot of crypto investors in our audience and uh, the way they probably see it is that uh, like something, a project having a token is the only way that they can invest in it and potentially uh, make money off of it. But I'm curious to hear your perspective on the, uh, uh, the, the um, conflicts of interest, the uh, twisted incentives that a token potentially sets up. Okay. So let's talk about this because this is, this is actually really interesting. Okay. Now let's say that you're a founder. Okay. Now you have two ways that you can go. You can raise money the traditional route. You can have VCs, micro VCs, friends and family, angel investors, syndicates like us with lightning ventures. Okay. You can go that route or you can do this token sale thing. Okay. And if you do a token sale thing, okay, first off, it probably is breaking like nine laws, but you know, you do this token sale thing. Okay. And then what kind of investors are you, are you getting? Okay. Are you getting kind of investors that are going to be there for your company and actually help you? Or are you getting investors that are waiting until they can hit the sell button on their investment in your company? And that's kind of a difference between my world and this other world. I'm in the real world of venture capital, and we just happen to be investing in Bitcoin uh, companies. That's that's where our focus is. But like, I can't sell those right now. I'm not waiting for tokens or a lockup period to like dump them. Okay, we're in this with these companies. I'm there uh, to you know to be as helpful as I can, to be as engaged as they'll allow me to be, and to like add value to these companies and to do things for them. So I think that it's a wake up call for founders when they like do a token sale. That is like, what kind of investors are you really getting? Like I meet with my founders all the time. You know, if I invested in some token sale. I mean, I don't know what type of relationship I can really have like with that founder. And I just think it breeds for two different type of investors. And it's not something that they're really thinking about when they go out and go the token route. Yeah, I think uh, so many people equate crypto projects with uh, token projects. Uh, even here in Japan, I recently heard um, Web3 defined as the token economy. And I guess people have different views on the term Web3. Um, I tend to um, define it pretty broadly, just trying to bring uh, more personal ownership back to the internet. Um, but I don't, I definitely don't think you necessarily need a, uh, a token uh, for every project just to, uh, to bring ownership back. Yeah, well, that seems to be the, uh, 
the route that a lot of people were going for a while there. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned one thing in your answer uh, about lockup periods, and I was curious. Uh, I mean, whether there's a token or not, I'm sure um, even if it's shares, there are lockup periods. Um, do you think that um, the model of having um, time-based lockup periods uh, is one that that helps a, a company grow? Or um, I, I recently heard an idea of, of uh, how we should have lockups tied to milestones. So it should be um, shares are unlocked when the company achieves something rather than just after a certain amount of time. Do you have thoughts on that model? Um, well, you know, lockups do control uh, some selling. So it, it definitely helps curb the selling. Um, you know, li liquidity comes when it comes. That's kind of the way that this game works in that, you know, sometimes you have a six-month lockup period for an IPO and sometimes they lift it early. Uh, they lift it at four months. You know, they just want to see how the stock is trading. Um, if you invest $1,000 into a Bitcoin startup, uh, through Lightning Ventures, there is no liquidity. Um, some event has to happen. Um, you know, sometimes things go up and whoever is running, let's just say that you were invested in a fund, all right? You invest in a, a venture fund and that fund makes an investment and that company is up 300x, Um the person running that fund might sell half. They might sell 25%. They might sell a portion of those. And for him to do that, he has to go to the secondary markets. There's a ROFR, which stands for right of first refusal. You know, they bring that to the board of the company. They have to approve the share transfer. If they don't, they still have to buy them. Uh, so that's like a process. You know, you can't just like hit the button. So sometimes liquidity happens early. Right. It's not always like in the case of Airbnb or Uber or whatever, where, um, you know, uh, you have to wait 10 years or Coinbase IPO 10 years um, like liquidity events can happen along the way. Um, but, you know, the illiquid nature of startup investing is actually a positive for me because I don't like looking at the, the stock price. You know, I don't like looking in public equities. Do I buy more? Do I sell more? Do I do I sell half? Do I put in a limit order here? Like, I don't even want to think about that. So in the Bitcoin, in the startup investment world, you really don't. You make your investment and that's kind of it. You know, there's nothing really else you can do except cheer on that company and, and try to be helpful. Right. So I guess that's another reason that uh, tokens are not uh, not an ideal growth model because uh there's uh, it makes it uh, i guess it, it provides liquidity um but then uh that can uh, that can easily result in the uh, funding draining away from these startups yeah um one thing i noticed uh on your website you're raising a, a fund uh what was it node fund one no that uh that's already been raised actually Okay. Uh, that was that was our first fund. That was like a pilot fund, and it was pretty small, friends and family. Um, and you know, we got a bunch of great companies in there, and we're about seventy five percent deployed out of it 
give or take. So, you know, we're thinking about maybe entertaining a, a second fund, but really we're focused mainly on the syndicate. And that is to give everyone access to Bitcoin startups and companies. Uh, that's that's what I would like to do. I would like to have more education around angel investing in general. And, you know, this if you want to invest in Bitcoin startups, like that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're all about. You know, there are plenty of other places that have other deals. Right. If you're looking for other tech things um, or you know, crypto stuff or Web3 stuff or other stuff. Like there's a lot of other places, but this is really our focus. And I want as many amazing people in the Lightning Venture Syndicate as possible um, to help our companies. And it's also great networking and there's other good things that come from it. I mean, you join, you know, if you're in Lightning Ventures and you're a lawyer, uh, you know, you might invest in a company, you might not. And maybe you get an update or something that says that they're seeking someone. Maybe it turns into a, you know, a client for you. Like that happens all the time. It's great for jobs. It's great for other partnerships. Maybe you have a SaaS company um, and there's a good fit for, for you with, uh, with one of our companies. Like there's many other benefits that come from it, but I'm really focused on trying to get people to get off zero with investing in, in companies. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty cool mission. One thing that caught my eye in the description for the fund, even though it's, it's closed now, um, you mentioned in the description that, uh, the, re the returns of the companies are not necessarily tied to the price of Bitcoin and that investing is a way to, uh, get exposure to investments, um, that are not just, uh, not just correlated to the price action of Bitcoin. I thought that was an interesting point. I mean, my, that's my whole thesis for investing. Um, my whole thesis is investing around companies that are insulated from short-term Bitcoin price volatility. Okay, so mining is particularly sensitive uh, to these sort of things, but um, our startups aren't. And in fact, many of our startups are having uh, the best... Uh, months ever uh, or the best quarter ever um, while the price has been acting very poorly, you know? Uh, so, you know, whether it's price up or price down, people are going to spin the wheel and get sats back on their purchases, you know, price up, price down. People are still going to um, buy as techo vouchers, you know, or buy uh, gift cards with their Bitcoin or load debit cards um, or whatever. So it's, it's nice to see that be validated with a lot of our company's updates is that even when the, even when like, um, the, the confidence in exchanges is at an all time low, like it is right now, a lot of our exchanges globally are having dynamite months. You know, and this is at a time after FTX and BlockFi and all these things happened. You know, if you're a if you're a Bitcoin exchange in, in Europe somewhere uh, and you even have the word lending anywhere near you, um, that is you are hated um, and they're still having great times. So that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do is to focus on that. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, really something that uh, a lot of people 
uh, aren't aware of um, because the, the again the, the common perception is that uh, investing in anything even related to cryptocurrency is just uh, like an extension of the the how the the crypto market or the the price of Bitcoin specifically is behaving. Um, the idea that you could uh, your thesis could be very Bitcoin centric, but you could still have a diversified um, basket of investments is uh, uh, it's an interesting idea. Well, you know, I'm only focused on the Bitcoin space, but even in the in the crypto space, um, if you're an exchange that, that didn't suffer, um, you're probably doing pretty well right now. You know, I don't know. I don't I don't read those updates, but I I would imagine that you're you're still doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, only the uh, only the strong survive, I guess. And then the ones that uh, that do survive do uh, pretty well. I, I guess that's a similar story with Bitcoin miners right now, where it's been really tough for them. But the ones that survive either are doing well or they will do well in the future. Yeah, well, I mean, there's public bankruptcies and, you know, a lot of them are on the ropes and that's that's the same deal. You know, if you go leveraged, you know, there was no futures, there was no hedging. You know, everyone thinks it's going to 200,000 and in your your mining, it's there's a price to pay. So, I just think on the other side of it, this it's going to be a lot different. What are your um key expectations for this year? I mean, a lot of people talking about recession, um, also just a lot of developments in the Bitcoin space. Uh, I mean, feel free to focus on uh, the macro or the Bitcoin, whichever, uh, whichever part you want, but I'm curious what you're thinking about for this year. I'm, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm hoping that the worst is behind us, uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of like the complete grinding halt, uh, that a lot of venture has experienced lately. I mean, a lot of people are not investing, like the fundraising process went from insane on the upside to rounds are taking very long to, to, to be completed. I mean, projects are still getting funded. Things are happening, but um, they're, they're just not happening at the speed that they, that they were before. So I'm hoping that's the case. I very well could be wrong and we might not have seen the last of it yet. And the thing is, is companies that raise at too high of a valuation cannot raise again and that's the problem okay the problem is is that you know you you raised on a hundred million dollar post money safe note with no discount uh when things were good and now reality hits and now you need to raise again to keep your company afloat uh and you haven't had meaningful progress um it can be almost impossible and is often impossible to raise a subsequent round and that's when you dissolve and that's when that company goes away so you know have we seen it all of it yet we couldn't have you know i hope that a lot of it is over because uh, a lot of my life is is in a ton of companies and private companies and I get emails all the time when they dissolve and it usually is accompanied with a letter from a founder and whatever was learned in that journey so you know um, the companies that raised a lot last year um, if they did not execute and grow into that valuation there's more to more to fall yeah 
we're 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 mainly hearing that uh, this this bear market is different because the uh, the funding and the valuations are still so high. But uh, it sounds like what you're saying is is that is uh, also kind of drying up or has dried up, and uh, companies might be well funded now, but uh, they may not be able to raise again. In which case, they would uh, eventually uh, run out of money. Like some founders, um, you know, eight months ago, they put in a hiring freeze, they battened down the hatches, they raised a small, tiny round, they padded their runway a bit, and they got ready for what was coming. Okay, and that was the smartest thing that could be done. And some founders are spending money on marketing when they don't even have a freaking live product. Um, And that's probably not wise to do uh, in this environment okay and we'll see so right now it's all about defense you know and in a good time uh, it's all about growth right it's show me the growth when everything is great and in these type of times it's all about revenue and getting to getting the burn to decrease, you know, because if, if you're a company, if you're burning 50 K a month, you know, and you never want your, your runway to really get down to, you know, a year, you know, keep it around year and a half maybe or so, um, you got to have some bucks, you know, and, you know, ideally you want to see that trending the right way. Like if you're growing 80% month over month, that's what you want to see, you know, Uh, and your burn is not increasing 80% month over month, you know, then it's a matter of time. Then you can start measuring churn and how long are you keeping these customers and what else can you do on retention? Then you can really start playing those games. Just out of curiosity, are you, uh, uh, are you a four year cycle believer? Do you think uh, the the price of, Bitcoin and and therefore the the entire crypto market is still based around uh, um, Bitcoin, the mining reward having in every four years, or do you think we've kind of uh, uh, moved past that uh, level of cyclicality? Well, the four year cycle is not. I don't think it's necessarily timed with the having, but there is a weird four year cycle with Bitcoin. Uh, that just and just in general with this whole, you know, 2013 was the first kind of altcoin sort of whatever phase, right? Mt. Gox went down. 2017, you had the ICOs. Um, that was the big deal then. You know, 2021, you had the the JPEGs and the NFTs kind of sort of happen. And in between all those four year periods, you had like incredible upswings. You know, but um, I'm not sure if they're correlated or what, but it's, it is a weird four year cycle that Bitcoin is in. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. I guess we'll just have to wait and see whether that uh, continues to hold true or not. Um, turning to uh, Bitcoin, uh, what are you seeing this year? You talked about the companies that you're excited about, but I'm curious on the on the Bitcoin uh, technology side, whether it's uh, Lightning Network or some of these other things, what are you looking forward to in Bitcoin this year? Well, look, I'm not I'm not necessarily the best person 
to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to lightning adoption. I'm looking forward to um, all of these Bitcoin companies that really aren't necessarily competing with each other, but are popping up all over the world um, that together are basically taking down Visa and taking down a lot of these large companies, you know, uh, you know, strike partnering with Bitnob in Africa on remittances. Um, that's a mutually beneficial relationship there. And that's what's going to take down a lot of these big remittance plays and legacy companies, right? Because then they, they do the same deal and they partner with Pouch in the Philippines. You know what I mean? And pretty soon you have this instant settlement happening over lightning, settled in fiat. The person on the other end doesn't even realize that just happened over Bitcoin. Okay, that's what's happening right now. There is someone in Nigeria right now that is sending fiat money to somebody in the U.S. in the same way that they have in the past. And it is happening in an instant. And that other person on the other end actually gets that fiat in their account. That transfer was done, okay, trustless, okay, over lightning instantaneously for like nothing, and that's going to happen everywhere. So, like, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about the bridge between pulling out a piece of plastic and having it be able to spend Bitcoin real time, okay, convert real time. And the merchant on the, on the other end of that can receive fiat or whatever the hell they want, okay? But that level of, like, usability is coming. You know, it's coming fast. So I'm excited about all that. I mean, we, we talked about the liquid stuff. You know, I'm excited to see what comes out of that. I'm excited that for anything that Blockstream does. And I'm just excited about everything that's going on. I mean, there's just so much going on. You know, all, then there's all these other things, too. There's the RSK. There's ordinals. You know, ordinals is huge right now. Um you know, all of these, all of these bolts, um, you know, all the lightning nerds, they're the best ones to talk about that stuff. But, you know, to be able to do recurring payments, to be able to have a subscription on Bitcoin, you know, it's not possible right now, you know? So there's a lot of things that people are working on. Yeah. Yeah. It is exciting. Especially the the first one you mentioned, uh, people being able to use Bitcoin without even realizing they're using Bitcoin. They, they just think they're sending money, uh, from one place to another in, in the way that they always have. But uh, but it's on the Bitcoin rails and their fees are much lower as a result and the, the speed is much faster as a result. That That is uh, very exciting. You mentioned at the beginning some advice for founders that you had that they should uh, organize all their docs in, in one um, Google Drive and, uh, and make things very easy for investors to, to understand and invest in. But do you have any other uh, advice for founders? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that's done in the incorporation process. You know, some people, they incorporate as an LLC right off the bat. They think that's the way to go. That's not going to work. That doesn't work for like a high growth venture business. Um, There's a number of reasons why it doesn't work. Um, One of them is tax implications that come from 
uh, an LLC uh, versus a C Corp. Um, and the other one uh, really is about future shares being issued. You know, you have a series of shares. It doesn't allow you to easily create and distribute new shares, whether you have a series A or B and so forth. And there's different uh, protections and things that are written into all of these deals um, along the way. So I think incorporating properly uh, from the beginning and, um, you know, there are a lot of other things that can happen in, in the life cycle of a company that maybe you're not thinking about in the beginning, like maybe um, your co-founder, you know, what is it? It's always Alice and Bob. Uh, Alice and Bob start a company and maybe like Alice is doesn't want to do it after 18 months. Like what happens? Like how does she depart? Like is she allowed to compete and like do something else? Like what about all the stuff that she worked on while she was working with Bob? Is that like that company's intellectual property because she was there? What if one of their ideas that they were working on was something that they kind of spent a little bit of time on at their previous job at Google? Like do they have to worry about that? Um, and what they were doing before they started uh, this startup or what happens when an employee has like four years of vacation and decides to leave? Was that ever addressed like in the beginning? Does anyone know how to like deal with that person? You know, so there's a lot of other things that can happen in the future as well as like creating an options pool. You know, I mean, if Alice and Bob, you know, want to go in business and, and don't have a little bit uh, of an education, you know, they think they own 50-50 and then VC1 comes in and he doesn't do all of his due diligence and buys 10% of the company. And then they take that money and they got to hire people. And like, how are they going to uh, grant uh, stock options to that first dev that they get or whoever those early stage people are because they don't have it. So then they have to create the options pool after the fact. And that options pool comes out of the total available shares. And now that VC experiences some instant dilution just because the company didn't have an options pool created in advance. So there are like a number of things to, to think about, you know, and I'm learning every day as I go, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, but there's a lot to learn. And are those things where you also work with founders to, uh, to help them, uh, uh, overcome some of these challenges that they may be unfamiliar with? Well, I try to. I mean, I'm only a, technically an advisor to two companies. Um, and yeah, I mean, we had a company that we really liked and they had a bad incorporation that was done, you know, in the UK. Like this is not favorable. It's not going to work long term. And we had an attorney in our network who was able to, you know, help the company. Uh, incorporate properly. They did a Delaware C. They used that company to absorb the other LLC, which already had a couple of patents filed under under it. So it wasn't like they couldn't just like start over. They still had something there. So you know, sometimes you gotta go through that, uh, especially if it's a deal that you really like or a company that you really like. You know, um, I can't just like get on the phone all day with like any anyone with an idea on how to incorporate i'm thinking about maybe like doing a video or something or maybe getting something out there some sort of resource but um i definitely try to give back i try to do like the hackathon sort of things or you know bolt dot fun or try to you know be involved but 
there really is a lot to learn. And, you know, founders are often really, they just need to work on what they're working on. I mean, that's what matters is to, is to stay building. They don't need to be thinking about options pools. But the reality is, is somebody has to be thinking about options pools. Just one more from me, purely out of my curiosity. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you guys are based in Miami and New York. Yeah, I split my time between uh, Miami and New York. And uh, I'm in Miami now. And we invest in Bitcoin companies all over the world. Um, we're, we're based here in Japan, so I'm kind of uh, viewing all this from afar from, but what it seems like is there's a few hubs of, uh, well, Bitcoin activity. And then uh, of course, uh, crypto activity as well, um, within the U S are there, would you say there's different cultures in these different places like Miami, New York, Austin, uh, San Francisco, different cultures, different types of projects. I mean, you know, Austin and Miami are kind of like self-proclaimed you know bitcoin hubs here in the u.s so there's a lot going on there i mean that's a that's a there are two great places to be if you're in bitcoin um i mean miami you know crypto uh there's a big crypto thing i'm not sure if there's a big like crypto crypto in miami i think it's i mean in austin i think it's mainly bitcoin which is probably why they claim that's bitcoin land uh and for that reason i think they're probably right uh, but no, there's a lot going on there as far as like hotbeds. Um, but you know, like that's the thing is there's hotbeds everywhere, right? There's hotbeds, um, all over the world, you know, breeze is in Israel, you know, um, Amber's in Australia. I mean, everyone is, is everywhere, but I wouldn't say that there's like a difference in the projects themselves. I would just say that there's more of them kind of more builders concentrated in those places yeah that's uh that's good to know and hopefully uh hopefully we can visit some of those places soon um kyle uh, i see that uh, your speaker do you have a question for mike yeah i got it i hey muzz um muzz and i know each other irl uh awesome. so i was just on a, a plane yesterday with stacy and max um from the U.S. down to El Salvador, and I was wondering. Well, you know, they have a they have an investment group down here in El Zante called EC, EZ Capital, like LZ Cap, uh, you know, El Zante, but a pun on it. And I, I've been like thinking about different ways to get involved down here, as well as shaking things things up with Galoy. I see Andrew's in the audience. I know he's over there, and a few other people as well. And I was just wondering about some, you know, not only opportunities in the U.S. or Europe, but what sort of synergies and things you're excited about um, down here, maybe in Latin America or South America, something like that. And I'll also say hey to your wife and Anna, or wife, Anna. <laughs> My apologies. Tequila is good down here. What up, Kyle? <laughs> How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for hopping in here and hanging. Yeah, we had to spice it um, up. So he was wanting to end it because there wasn't enough questions. And I was like, oh, man, I can annoy Muzz for at least hours, maybe days. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Max and Stacy, Elzante. Yeah, easy cap. Um, they're, I, I've been wanting to get Max like on an interview because he has seeded many, many Bitcoin companies. Um, you know, Heisenberg Capital before that. I think they had, I know Bitcoin Fund 1 and 2. I think they may have had a third. But he's definitely an OG in a lot of this stuff. Now, that's not just Bitcoin only because there wasn't 
all of that back then. Uh, but you know, the you know, early in Kraken, you know, early in a lot of those those big names from that time. I feel like now's a better time to invest in Bitcoin companies back then, just because there's there's more robustness to um, to everything that's going on from like a venture perspective. But they're killing it. Um, you know, they they they. I'm huge fans of them. They're great. In terms of like in El Salvador, look, it's tough because you know it's a, it's a challenge. I mean they have legal it's like legal tender but like they still can't open bank accounts like if you're a bitcoin startup in el salvador you still can't open a bank account they won't open one for you because they're afraid of losing their counterparty bank in the u.s so even it's like oh it's bitcoin 100 percent el salvador like these companies still can't operate they can't open bank accounts down there so that's like still a big challenge. And you'd think like, oh, well, isn't there somebody over there like in the government or whatever? And that's not the case. Um, in terms of innovation out of there, I mean, we're an investor in Bitcoin Beach Wallet. I mean, I love uh, Bitcoin Beach Wallet. It's a product of, of Galloy. And, um, you know, it's their flagship product. Uh, we were really pumped to be investing in that. Um so, I mean, they're doing great things down there. I know, I think it's called Tianki uh, is another really cool startup down there. I think they're in the Bitcoin uh, X Tim Draper thing that they have right now. There's like a Bitcoin X Venture Studio. I think Tianki's in there. They're doing some really cool stuff. Um, and who else is down there? Like, in, as far as Latin America goes, I know that there's a company called Walib. Uh, in, I believe, Colombia. There's uh, BIPA, I think, in, in Brazil. Luis from BIPA is the founder there. And that's like a Bitcoin-only type of DCA kind of like everything strike-ish sort of app. You know what I mean? Send money to people, do stuff like that. Um, I just heard of something that is in Guatemala. I can't remember the name of the company, but down there, the same type of deal. And, well, you know, Ibex, right? I mean, Ibex is making a big push for Latin America. Um, the founder's uh, CEO, Jose, is actually from Guatemala. Um, but, you know, they're doing a lot with the merchant adoption. And, you know, a lot of people compare them to an open node. Uh, but, you know, them too. But as far as that goes, I can't think of any more off the top of my head um, in Latin America. Yeah, I, so fair enough. I, sort of my question, uh, well, I have an A-B question. So my A is I know that you guys uh, have, have an investors group. It has a proper name. But, you know, you can join your consortium. Um, that might be hosted by AngelList or something, if I recall correctly. But I, I'm wondering, A, if that's, if, that's, if that's restricted only to accredited investors and then B, you know, some something or some of the opportunities I see in especially areas down here is you can a ten thousand dollar investment in a business down here makes an enormous difference to their bottom line because your your average income for this area is maybe eight hundred or twelve hundred a month. So if you're able to give somebody a four month cash infusion for a solo founder, that's a hell of a deal for a seed round, right? And it's not the it's not the same price in the states. It's you know fifty grand or maybe a hundred grand or something like that. And so you, you have your capital goes a lot further for people on the ground, um, which means uh, since I know that you are a, a, pi a piker, 
you like to make many <laughs> small bets, right? Um, it seems like that's a this is a place where maybe plebs could at least uh, facilitate their Bitcoin to make some change without the accredited investor bullshit and things that they might have to go through otherwise. So that's kind of my angle is I'm wondering if there's any uh, any advice you might have for a pleb like myself, you know, making a six figure income as a software guy, but I'm not sitting on ten million dollars. Um, or how, how I might get involved in building up the community from a capital standpoint. Okay, so we did talk about this a little bit earlier. Um, so first off, in terms of like um, investing in El Salvador, um, it, that's all relative though. You know what I mean? You got to look at where the money is and look at how much money is in Europe or how much money is in America or how much money is somewhere so you know it's it's not saying that it's not going to be huge but just keep that in mind when you think about oh a smaller investment goes further or i might get you know a better valuation um you got to think about there's a lot to think about um in perspective um the bitcoin beach valuation was a very very fair deal um for that reason um but um, as far as the accredited stuff goes, yeah, you do need to be accredited. But what does that even mean, right? Like in that presentation, it, um, you know, it's uh, it's an arbitrary thing. You know, you have to self-certify in the million dollars or the two hundred k with the ex- expectation to make it again or whatever. Um, but you know, that really comes down to checking the right box, okay, and the and you know, certifying yourself. Uh, which I would recommend everyone do. And I don't think it's really going to matter in the future because um, you will be accredited in time. But um, so like in terms of the plebs investing in an El Salvador company, it still has to be permitted by our overlords here in the U.S. And that might not be possible. Okay. So if that company in El Salvador if they incorporated maybe here with a Delaware C and then somehow applied to run a campaign on a crowdfunding website that's like compliant here in the US, maybe you could invest that way if that happened, which that alone would, would be a task, uh, is doing all of this. Um, and then it's like, if they did that sort of same playbook thing in El Salvador, would you even be permitted to invest in it based on El Salvador's laws or our laws? I don't even really know. Like, it's possible to invest in foreign stuff, I believe, uh, on these crowdfunding platforms for a U.S. person. But the crowdfunding platforms outside the U.S., I can't even participate. You know, I keep an eye on Crowdcube and Cedars. Um, there's one in Asia, too. I can't think of the name of it. Um, and, you know, and just to keep an eye on what's going on everywhere. And even the times where I've wanted to invest, it's told me I couldn't. So I'm not sure if that really solves that. But, yes, to invest in Lightning Ventures, you do need to be accredited. That's a solid an extremely sad answer. Um, regulation <laughs> is such a bummer. I, I work for Custodia and Caitlin Long, and we, we as you guys have known, if you've been following us in the news, it's just been a never-ending regulatory morass. So, yeah, thanks, Moz. That makes sense. What, what, what a shame, but it makes sense. 
Yeah, man. Well, listen, we got to get you in our group. All right. Uh, just like I just I think I, I thought I sent you one, but you did. But uh, man, I'm not in the accredited group right now. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't have the minimum. Like I could get my dad in, but he's like, dude, I don't want to tell him where to spend. I don't I don't have enough cash, man. You got to get me a raise. Call Caitlin listen, up. You know, that's <laughs> that's the funny part about it is, you know, people think that it's like you know, such a big deal to just click the button. Um, it's it's crazy. All right. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Um, I think we're going to bring it to a close. Mike, any anything uh, else that we haven't covered that you wanted to uh, highlight? No, I think that's it. Our website is ltng.ventures. Uh, so there it, um, you can see our portfolio, some companies that we're in, uh, what we're all about. We have a little application there. We have a telegram channel. Um, that's pretty much that if you're a founder and you're a Bitcoin only person, you can, uh, click on the, uh, raise button at the top. If you're in the mining space, you know, we have a separate form listed there for for mining companies and even if we don't invest in your mining company we have a lot of partnerships and things we try to facilitate you know this guy is looking to buy a bunch of miners this guy's looking for a bunch of power this guy's looking for both uh you know so if you're in that space you can fill that out and um that's pretty much it i'm going to um the conference in vietnam in in da nang um, next month, I will be there in March. I'll be in the Philippines for the pouch conference, uh, the retreat out there. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to being that wish I could, uh, make it to Japan, but yeah, maybe next time. we can get you to Tokyo. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. All right, Brad. Thank you, buddy. Okay. What'd you think of that? In addition to the advice Mike gave to founders in this episode, he also gives great advice in the Lightning Ventures Telegram group. So if you are looking to start a Bitcoin company or invest in one, that's a great place to be. It was interesting for me to listen to this interview again. We recorded it in the depths of the bear market, so you can hear our uncertainty about whether the price of Bitcoin is going lower at some point. Obviously, that turned out to very much not be the case, at least for now. But it was a good reminder that we never truly know what the price will do in the short term, so it's important to not be too distracted by it and just focus on building. And boy, did a lot get built on Bitcoin this bear market. So many of the things mentioned in this interview have come a long way since then, so check them out in the show notes. We still have so much to build, though. Although Bitcoin is already revolutionary, a lot needs to get built around it to make it accessible to more people in a wider range of contexts. We're going to keep exploring those contexts on this show, though, so throw me a follow if you don't want to miss an episode, and if you'd like to help me out, a rating or review or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon. GM Radio.